Hi, thanks for listening. In 20 seconds or less, I wanted to ask if you would consider supporting the show with a one-time donation of $1 to $3. The funds go to subscription fees, equipment upkeep, and a general sense of well-being. Links in the show notes. And again, thanks for listening. Okay, on with the show. Chapter 6 In the early days of the zombie apocalypse, a term picked up by the news outlets, the various military and governmental agencies had tried to control the spread of the disease through quarantine. At first, only sections of cities where evidence of an outbreak occurred were cordoned off. Localized quarantine, however, proved ineffectual. The decision was made that an occurrence in one part of a city or town meant quarantine for the whole of the municipality. The military was recalled from all forward theaters of operation, their new mission laying siege to American cities. When a city was deemed to have been infected, it was sealed off. Armed and fortified roadblocks were stationed at all points of entry around the city. Several miles before one got to a checkpoint, A road sign was placed to warn visitors that where they were headed was not somewhere they could go. Simple in design, it was a single yellow triangle on a pole. It was decided that no words would be used on the sign. Perhaps someone who could not read or who did not understand English would disregard it. A sinister character of a skull was chosen as an image that would universally convey both the danger within a locale and the message to stay out. The military had orders to restrict access to and from an infected area, and lethal force was authorized. At first, the task of producing the signs fell to the government printing office. As the disease spread and the areas of quarantine increased, the GPO could not keep up. Sign production was farmed out to penal institutions. Infrastructure already set up to make license plates was refitted to produce the quarantine signs. Inmates across the country cranked them out day and night. In the end, virtually every city and town in America had a skull on yellow triangle posted at its city limits. The signs became larger, true-life representations of the red dots on the video screens at NORAD, charting the spread of the contagion. The maps on those screens became covered in red, and it became easier to talk about where the disease was not than where it was. Eventually it came to a head, and nobody was charting the spread of the disaster or quarantining cities anymore. It was everywhere. Chapter 7 Nicole stood on the gas and the RPMs approached the red line. "'What the hell was that?' she said. She entertained the thought that she might have imagined it, a flashback in her mind to a time before. It simply did not make any sense that someone should still be working there, anywhere. She cast a final look back over her shoulder and watched the store recede in the distance. 
A little early to be hallucinating, Nicole, she said. Turning back around, she looked ahead at the town of Fair Valley, the all-too-familiar skull on Yellow Triangle whipping past her window. Nicole strained her eyes as she saw what she thought was movement in the distance. She slowed the GTO and scanned the horizon. Her first thought was heat waves rising off the blacktop, but it just did not seem that hot to her. As she drew closer, what was moving was brought into sharp relief. Nicole stomped the brakes and brought the car to a screeching stop as she saw emerging from the city the collective citizenry of Fair Valley. They spanned the two-lane and extended for hundreds of yards beyond it in both directions. The dead did one thing at a time. First they ate, but when a food supply ran out, they moved. The food supply in Fair Valley had run out. Nicole stared out at the advancing horde and briefly considered going through them. Even at this distance, she could see they were hundreds deep. Going around them was no good either. Thoughts of getting stuck in a hole or bogged down in the soft ground of the rolling landscape were enough for her to dismiss that as a reasonable plan. A look in her rear view told her what she already knew. Retreat was the only option. Nicole threw the GTO in reverse, did a blistering three-point turn, and raced back down the highway. Slamming the brakes, she skidded to a screeching stop in front of the Home Improvement Supercenter and debated about going back inside. She all but convinced herself that there was nobody actually inside there, that the encounter was purely stress-induced. Besides, she was now headed in the opposite direction from where she needed to go. If the horde kept advancing, it would be hundreds of retraced miles before she got to a turnoff where she could seek an alternate route around the horde. How long will that take, and what if there is a bigger horde along that route? she thought. Nicole looked over at the store again. If she ducked in there, maybe they would simply pass, and then she could be on her way, unobstructed with no time lost. Turning the wheel, she gunned the engine and raced up to the front sliding doors. She killed the engine and ran inside. Nicole looked around. Seeing the switch on the right side, she turned off the doors and locked them. She then ran to the second set of glass doors farther down by customer service. A large metal display sat in front of the switch. Nicole grabbed it and pulled it away. The metal display made an ear-splitting scraping noise as she dragged it across the floor. She reached over, turned off the doors, and locked them. Sam stopped counting Schedule 40 PVC fittings when he heard the scraping. Good, Bob was finally here, he thought. He put down his clipboard and made his way to the front. There, he stood in shock as he watched the shoplifter finish pulling the metal display away and locking the doors. He was about to say something when she turned and for the second time jumped back screaming. Shit! she said. Sam stared at her. Ma'am, may I ask what you think you are doing? Aside from the fact that you have stolen from us, what you have created there is a fire hazard. Those doors are to remain unlocked during business hours, he said. Nicole stared back in disbelief. She slowly walked up to the clerk. She extended a finger and poked him in the chest. Not a hallucination, she said. She looked at him a second more, then regained her composure. Seeing another set of glass doors to her left, she hurried over to them. 
These led out to the greenhouse area. Sam was confused. Not a hallucination. Ma'am, I don't know what your problem is, but you can't come into the store and start creating fire hazards, he said. Nicole was not listening as she turned off and locked the glass doors. The clerk rushed up. And don't think I don't recognize you either. You stole from us not fifteen minutes ago, he said, reminding her again of her criminal status. Nicole looked down the aisle to her right. Another set of doors, these also leading to the greenhouse area outside, received the same treatment, switched off and locked. As she turned around, the increasingly annoying clerk blocked her. I will call the police, ma'am, he said. She looked at him, her disbelief growing past the point she thought possible. The police? What are you talking about? She said. Ma'am, I need you to stop and listen to me, the clerk said, cutting her off. Her frustration boiled over. Look, I don't know what planet you've been living on, and I don't care what your scene is. Nicole looked down at the name tag on Sam's apron. Sam J. But we have to make this place secure, understand? They're coming, and if they get in... Nicole let her words trail off as she brushed by him on her way to the axe handles. She grabbed one as Sam came up. Who is coming? he said. Nicole gripped the axe handle and looked at it. From the front of the store, a loud bang sounded. Nobody's coming. They're already here, she said.